0: Love in general. (laughs) Have you ever noticed how we like to distort that word? We love everything. Fried chicken, chocolate cake, filet mignon, and our list of food delicacies goes on and on that we love. We love movies our TV shows. We love cars. Everyone has a favorite car that they love a brand of shoes or some kind of clothing, a sports team. We just use this word love for all kinds of reasons that may or may not be the most appropriate use of it. But typically, we are using it to describe our feelings for some object or something that we like. But I fear that this use of this word in our culture is just kind of diminishing what really God's intent of the word love really is. It really should mean something way more significant than chicken- or cake. Maybe not cars, but no. <laughs> so the Bible has lots and lots to say about love. So let's turn to Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. We'll read this one together. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. And it reads like this You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. This is Jesus' words, they're in read in my Bible. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That kind of gets us started in a a different direction, doesn't it? This love thing must be a little more complicated than chicken or cake. Maybe the real meaning of love should be reserved for something that's really important, really strong, really impactful, and about others to whom we really maybe have a relationship with. But I think, in truth, when you study out God's word, that real love might even transcend the emotional world altogether. It's more of a choice. It's, that is not based on our continually changing circumstances, but is something that's way more stable and has way more substance in the long run. It's consistent. It's predictable. So I hope that this kind of love is what we use when we talk about our spouses, our families. How about God himself? The Bible is full of examples of God's love. We're going to read a couple here in a minute. Um, but I think the more we try to comprehend God's love, it goes way beyond our understanding. God's love is so huge. When you try to live to his standard, it can be overwhelming. Thank goodness for the Lord. I was reading in the ancient original text, there's over 200 references to the God kind of love just in the Old Testament alone. So we're just going to read a couple here. We'll put them on the screen. I don't expect you to turn to them, but I'm just going to go through a few here with us. Uh, to show you the, the variety of things that God tells us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 and verse 19, we're going to read that one. Verse 16 starts off, And we have known and believed the love of God that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. And verse 19 goes on to say, We love him because he first loved us. He's way before us. The next one I want to read is 1 Peter 4, verse 8. 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And then I have Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, you must do also. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And then I have Jeremiah 3, I'm sorry, thirty-one three in the Old Testament. The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And the last one I'm going to read here this morning, it comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. This concept hangs out with love all the time. And it reads, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You see, love and grace are what we want and need most from God. When we call out to his name, that's what we're looking for. It's his love and his grace because we know we need it. But do we really grasp what that means? And are we very good at demonstrating it to others? Can we live it out? Unconditional love is putting our own needs behind us and looking at the other person's needs what's best for them, regardless of how we feel. God's love isn't about feelings. Unconditional love requires staying close to someone, not judging them or punishing them, but loving them without conditions. And I think that's gang, where we get hung up. Unconditional love, if we want to make it real simple, is loving without strings attached. I think we love lots of people, but we have lots of strings. We need to get rid of the strings. It's love that we offer freely. And we don't base it on what someone else can do for us or even how they necessarily feel toward us. You simply love them and want nothing out of this other than their happiness. That's how you can tell when you're really doing it for love, the right reasons. It has nothing to do with ourselves. This type of love, sometimes called compassionate love in and in God's language, it's called agape. And if you look up that word in the ancient text, it'll tell you faithfulness and covenantial choice. That's what agape stands for. And it may sound familiar or family-like, and hopefully that's how our parents love us and how we, if we're lucky enough to be parents, love our children, because it's a choice every day. And while we often associate this kind of love with familial love with our families. We also like to look for it in our romantic relationships. And let's be serious. Wanting someone to love me for myself and all my craziness, that's a pretty cool thing. (laughs) So I fully understand why we want that unconditional love because, I'll speak for myself, I can be an interesting individual to love. (laughs) But again... How well are we doing at showing this to others? How well do we do at this? Whether it's in our familial love or even our romantic relationships. Are there lots of strings that hooked onto those as well? I think first we have to remember that unconditional love is a huge selfless act. Again, we're not in it for ourselves. But is there anything else that makes it unique? Like romantic love, when you love someone, you generally have good feelings both the receiver and the giver. And there's these studies out there that are showing that our emotional state can actually have health benefits. Isn't that kind of an interesting concept? That if we can, let's pick on our children, if we can create an environment where we offer our children this unconditional love, where they feel safe and protected, what if it raises their sense of well-being and security? And that actually changes their sense of self-worth which makes everything else in their life go better, including they're starting to look at certain health issues might be tied to this. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that cool that how we treat people can actually change their overall well-being and health? The fear we have, or I have, is that if that's true, and I kind of believe it probably is, it can go the other way. If we create environments full of stress and anger and hatred, lack of security, what does that do to people's health where they are always, you know, on edge? So, the cool thing is, excuse me, had a voice thing all morning. We get to choose what kind of love we use. It's our choice. Are we creating good feelings or bad ones? You see, unconditional love, it can weather life's trials, life's conflicts, like falling out of touch with each other, or like, people, neighbors, spouses, families that are going on different paths. Unconditional love can weather those kinds of things. It means you're willing to actually support or benefit others, even if, if it's at my own expense. Basically, it's a change of focus off of myself. Unconditional love includes acceptance and forgiveness. And since none of us are perfect, right, and I wrote down that most of us probably have a thing or two that we regret doing at some point in our lives, and if we could undo, we'd undo them. We realize that unconditional love offers this sense of acceptance that really nothing else you can think of does. God's love being unconditional allows us to be accepted even if we don't deserve it. And the cool thing is we get to do that for others. We can accept them the same way. It doesn't mean that we condone or support someone's bad behavior but we still love them in spite of it. That's the whole key here. It, it, it's just what God does for us. Remember, He sent a son. We're sinners. We need saved. <laughs> we, we, yeah. Unconditional love is not con- unconditional like. Okay. I tried living that for a couple of weeks. Unconditional like. That was complicated, <laughs> because I don't think it can be done. Uh, there are things and, that happen to us in our lives, whether it's through people, whether it's through cultures, whether it's through countries, that we just don't like. So God doesn't ask us the unconditional like. He asks us the unconditional love. That's a whole different thing all the way around. Because if you think about it, God's got a big list of things that he doesn't like either. <laughs> okay, And he's even written them down. Um, he just doesn't like stuff. And he usually calls those things sin. All right, God loves us, but he sure doesn't like our sin. The song Jesus, Friend of Sinners, came on the radio the other day while I was riding, driving down the road. And I don't know about you, but music is just so powerful. It can just speak into your heart, wherever you are, whatever else is going on in your life. In Jesus, Friend of Sinners, by Casting Crowns. You know the truth, and you, you live it, but when... Some of those songs just hit you like a ton of bricks. That's me. I'm a sinner. But Jesus is still my friend. We're all sinners. The song was written, written about me, Jesus, friend of sinners. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I, I need it. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's all I have. Nothing else. I'm just a sinner who gets to serve a loving God, one who loves me in spite of me. Um. I have been given this unconditional love from God, from Jesus. So who am I to love with conditions? Why do I think my loving has to have all these strings attached? I think that's the first step of trying to live out unconditional love, getting rid of the strings, getting out of myself, that I get to determine what's lovable and what isn't. So you might be wondering by this time, what in the world got this guy spooled up about this topic? Well, I'll tell you. Amy and I have the privilege of uh, having a life group with some of you all. Uh, It's on parenting, and we're going through this book by Tim Daly. Tim Daly is the president and CEO of Focus on the Family. And he wrote this book called When Parenting Isn't Perfect. And so when I was trying to pre-read and find out which book to look through. Right out of the box, he just lays it right out there. As parents, we're not perfect. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? I never thought anybody would ever tell me that. I'm not perfect as a parent. Hmm, concept. But that's the point. We're not perfect. We ought to know that. God knows that. And so why do we try to create perfection in our homes? We've been given this unconditional love. And grace. And we'll talk about it more in a minute, but our love can be incredibly conditional. And there was a couple of examples in this book right out of the box that just seemed so mean. They're very conditional in the way that these folks in this book love their children. Some of these examples were startling. I couldn't believe it. And I pray that none of us would ever do some things like these people have done to their children. I was amazed at how we behave as adults. <laughs> we're supposed to be the adults, we're the parents. And so that's, that's what got this started. That are we living lives that are mean, harsh, cruel, conditional? I hope not, because and I'm sure we are, but we can do better is the point. You know, we just gotta, gotta think about who our example is. So back to our topic. You see, we can't truly love someone unconditionally unless the love remains unchanged regardless of their actions. If my response of love is going to be only tied to them and their actions, then it can't be unconditional. It's absolutely conditional. Okay, It doesn't mean that I have to accept their bad behavior and that I shouldn't be working in a loving way to help them see truth and a better way and help correct those behaviors. Bless you. But The point is we have to love them in spite of it. How do we ever expect to have a chance to even talk into that situation if we're not there? Unconditional love separates the behavior from the individual. Again, isn't that what God did for us? We're sinners, but he he looked the other way, east from the west. This can be a very tough thing. I'm not saying this is easy, but that is why God is way better at it than us and he becomes our standard. He's the one we got to look at for the examples. So when I was thinking about this, I had this thought. We as parents may love our children unconditionally, no matter what they do. But is even that conditional? There may be a condition attached even to that statement. And what I was thinking about is, what if our friend's child did that? What if someone we didn't even know's child did that, and we read about it in the newspaper. What's our response then? Is it that we're, Ugh, can you imagine that bad person? And what about those parents? they got to be absolute losers. Is that how we respond? If it is, then it, even loving our children is conditional, because they're ours. If it's somebody else's children, <laughs> all bets are off. Isn't even that kind of a harsh way to live that the only things that we can possibly accept in our life is things that are ours, because we can rationalize that away. What if we tried to love all? Kind of gets you thinking, doesn't it? How deep this can go, to actually think like God. (laughs) The wonderful thing about God's love is that although we are commanded to repent of our sins and try to turn to his ways, he never stops coming along us, loving us, on that road to his righteousness. Even though we screw up, he stays right there with us. He's always a prayer away. You know, this type of love does have the power to heal wounded hearts and to bring people closer together versus creating divisions. It can be the basis for wonderful relationships. As I was thinking about this, I I went back to college days and back in the, I went to college in the early 80s, a day or two ago. And at the University of Iowa, the Pentecost was where a lot of our classes were. And there was a, a movement on campus that was pro-Jesus. How cool was that, right? There was Jesus movement on campus. And, but what they would do, they were so zealous that they would scream at you. Okay? You'd be walking on your way to your, your next class, and these people would get right in your face. You ugly, mean sinner. You must repent today. You're going to hell. And it's like, but I've known Jesus for like eight years. They didn't care. (laughs) They were just screaming at you, right? And I, I got to thinking 40 years later or more, 45, has our culture changed any? Aren't there causes and issues in our culture right now today that make us want to scream? (laughs) But I ask you, how many people are really, whether it was in 1980 at the University of Iowa or in the present day, how effective do you think that method really is? Do you think because we scream at someone, these people magically turn from their sin and, and run to the Lord? Wouldn't it be nice if that was the way it was? My fear is that we're actually giving them a reason not to, where we're just making them mad, and then they're going to dig their heels in, and they're never going to listen to anything we have to say. That this unloving method may do way more harm than good. And maybe, just maybe, we should try a much more gentle approach and try to show them the love of Jesus if we're truly trying to live out unconditional love. They're just like us. They're sinners. They've made bad choices. God still loves them. I would really like to see them come back to him. Hopefully no one would argue and say that God doesn't love us unconditionally. You know, again, he sent his only son to die for us and to be our savior. But in spite of our best intentions, I believe that we more often than not love with our strings attached. Here is an example of our human kind of love. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. A young man wrote his sweetheart a love letter that went something like this. Dear Sweetheart Tabitha, I love you so much I would climb the highest mountain just to see you smile. I love you so much I would swim the deepest river infested with piranhas just for one of your kisses. I would cross the widest sea for one of your hugs because I love you so much. I love you so much that I would traverse a burning desert just to see your face. Your never-ending, unconditional love, Bob. P.S. I will be over to see you Wednesday night if it doesn't rain. <laughs> that's, that's more like us, isn't it? <sighs> but don't let it rain because, you know. Without God's example of love, we'd just be lost. We wouldn't have any hope at all. So I want to transition to a couple of examples of not following God's example of unconditional love and some words of wisdom that I've been thinking about by reading that book that I mentioned earlier by Tim Daly, When Parenting Isn't Perfect. Because I think the way we treat our children can impact not only our children, but that same method can work with our friends, our neighbors, Anybody that we care about, we can, you know, have that love and that, that bind, binding heart too. There are several examples in this book, but two I'm going to share, kind of share a common theme. They involved college children. But again, they could be anybody in our lives. They could be young people. They could be adults, more adultish than college. They could be older folks. It's just the concept of what I'm going to talk about. And these people made bad choices. I mean, that's the point. We all make bad choices. Again, they could be anybody in our lives. The first example involved a young lady who had an unexpected pregnancy. And, of course, these people are from Christian homes. I mean, that's a preamble, right? We're talking about Christian people, right? And that's not a good thing, you know? It causes stress all the way around. Uh, But it's the response to it that's complicated. She didn't, of course, believe in abortion, so she wanted to do the right thing and get married and, and... raised this child, and when she told her parents, they basically hung up the phone on her, told her how disappointed they were, and how could that happen in our family. And this poor young person was left to carry that burden by herself. The other example... Involved another young person who made another bad lifestyle choice. And the parents wouldn't speak to them at all either. But they got a little even more aggressive. They cut off all finances, all communications. And they'd given this child a car as a present. And they told him if they didn't bring the car back, they were going to report it stolen to the police. Really? This is the best we got? This is parenting? Oh, my gosh. I just, it just... I couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. Not very unconditional-like, is it? <laughs> Talk about conditions. How do you expect to stay in their life at all if this is how you would behave? You just cut them off? Wow. Again, we're not talking about unconditional-like. We don't have to like what our friends do or our kids or our neighbors, but we, gotta, we can choose to love them. We, we, how else do you expect to help them get over this? to get back on track, to have a correction in their life. Again, I wrote, God lists many things that he doesn't like in his word. And Jesus only came along to add to it. (laughs) But he hangs in there so that when we choose to turn back to him, he's still there. He didn't run. He didn't abandon. We all want to be perfect as parents as children, as friends, as neighbors. But, you know, having this persona of perfection, I think, is only destroying us as people. And it doesn't do much for our relationships either. It just creates these impossible wedges that are hard to hard to get around. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not bad to do our best. In fact, God expects that of us. And, of course, I fully believe that it's wonderful to encourage our children to do their best we should celebrate their successes. And it's graduation. How cool is that? Go graduates. You've done a great thing. Keep on going. So we want to celebrate successes, whether it's in a sport, or if you're in the band, or if you're in theater, or if you're getting to the next level of your wah video game. Cool. <laughs> I don't know any video games, so that's the best one I could come up with. Uh, or even getting a hard-earned B in algebra. I son's sitting back there knowing I don't play video games because he played car racing games because that's something I could maybe at least understand, and he still just, he could have the Yugo, I could have the Ferrari, he'd still win. Okay, <laughs> so, but often what happens is, without even noticing, see, we slip across that invisible line from, that goes from celebrating our kid's first goal or that hard-earned beer, an A, and we that's the first moment where we actually start wrecking their life. Because now, why didn't you get a goal this day, or three or seven? Why didn't you win that race? Why didn't you get A's on all your tests? See, all of a sudden you went from being happy to now that poor kid has this stuff dumped on him because we have made it conditional. They would have been better off not getting the goal or not getting the A in the first place because it can wreck their life. What happens is kids will make mistakes. And not getting an A isn't getting, making a mistake or not scoring a goal isn't making a real mistake. But we can treat it like that. And what if they actually did fail at something? Can we deal with that? Heaven help them as we pour out our wrath and our discouraging words and disappointment on them. That's definitely not good. So I just think if we're going to live out unconditional love, we just have to always be on guard. Always be saying, How can I speak life into this situation? How can I be positive? How can I not create more stress? You know, we can talk about resume virtues or eulogy virtues. You know, resume virtues are all about achievement. What did I accomplish? And eulogy virtues are all about character. What did I stand for? Who was I? And our culture, as you all know, really puts a big emphasis on, you know, achievement virtues. Virtues, And that's maybe not good. There are other cultures who don't at all. And their families and their communities and whatnot are incredibly strong because they value the people first, not what they've done. So what happens is we can make our kids or others, friends, neighbors, other family members, feel like they have to earn our love. And that creates feelings of insecurity. They feel they're only one step away from losing our love. And what a scary place that is. That's not safe at all. And when our love feels unconditional to someone, especially if we make that standard so high, and so they must make it every time, they can lose hope. They can feel they don't have any chance to meet that expectation. This behavior will only push these people in one direction from us. That's a way. Is that what we want? Do we want to draw people to us and draw people to the Lord? We've got to be careful. But I don't believe this is what any of us wants. This message isn't to be a Debbie Downer. It's to be, we get to make these cool choices. We can impact people's lives for the positive. It's what God wants us to do. We can give them our best. When we or our kids, because we make mistakes, we need to provide the, the corrective action, but we need to do it in a loving way that maintains a relationship. And I honestly believe that if we do those kind of activities well, that we can actually strengthen the relationship because we've taken the opportunity to learn their side of the story, what they value, what matters to them, and we all can grow from it. That, that's a win. And then, here's the key, you got to move on. You can't dwell on last week's problem. You solved it, you moved on, you let it go. It's how you live out unconditional love. You, you can't dwell on the past. Who could survive that? <laughs> okay. If God brought back all of our stories, oh my gosh, none of us could stand. It would be a mess. But if we're not careful, we can create this environment where no one is good enough. We're failures as parents. They're failures as kids. They're rotten neighbors. They're Right? And doesn't the enemy, don't you think he just enjoys that? When he can get us so sidetracked on beating each other up and feeling bad and all this kind of stuff that we take our eyes off the one who actually loves us unconditionally, who set the, the example that we know we're good enough because he says so. Some of the songs we sing here recently, um, it's just they're just fabulous because they talk about these things. And now we're stuck in self-doubt and anxiety. <laughs> you wonder why our, our world can get in such, such a pile sometimes. You see, I think our home should be a safe place, both for our kids and for us as parents. We shouldn't have to be perfect. And for anybody else who enters, our home should be a place where milk gets spilled and the glasses may even hit the floor, where everyone, both the kids and adults, We'll probably make mistakes. There's no probably about it. We will make mistakes. But in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the mess, there must always be love. There must always be forgiveness, and there must always be grace. Please remember that God is only a prayer away in these situations. The Holy Spirit is there. He wants to give us guidance and direction and peace. Take a few deep breaths. It's just milk. It's just a glass. You know, relax. It's okay. It's okay. As a member of God's family, myself, I can be the real me. You know, the not-so-kind me, the sinner me. And you know what? He still loves me, and it's a great place to be. And if I had one wish, it's that we could create that environment in all of our homes because that's the home that I get to live in with God. I think about family as things like love and safety and encouragement, and affirmation, and above all, peace. That's what we should be striving to create, a safe place, not a perfect place. Our kids don't want us to be perfect, but they do want us to be present, to try every day to do the best we can to give them the love, attention, and encouragement that they need. We need to show the people that we truly love them, that we care about them, that we will always be there for them when they need us, because they will, and we will need them. Again, that's living out the unconditional love, being there. Sounds easy, doesn't it? But it most definitely is not easy. I think a big part of our problem is that we're back to this incessant seeking of perfection. And this has to be based on some kind of uncontrollable pride issue that we run around with, because it can't be hooked with anything in conjunction with Christ being a Christian, or even the religion of Christianity. Really, because of all the world's big religions, only Christianity tells us explicitly that we can't achieve perfection. It's not one of our tenets. you will be perfect. <laughs> Whatever, it doesn't say that in this book. Not the perfect, it uses the words, but that's love, not perfect, the way we use the word perfect. You know, the Buddhists are seeking nirvana and the Jews are looking for that perfect law. But we live under this blanket of grace. God knows how messed up we are. He still loves us, even when we will inevitably miss the mark. So why then, since we've got this beautiful covering of grace that we depend upon, do we struggle to show that same grace to our spouses, our children, and our neighbors? You know, the world likes to call us out as Christians for being mean, harsh, even judgmental by the way we respond to certain things. They don't even mind taking pictures of us doing it. And way too often I feel that they do have a valid point. We could approach things in a whole lot better, a whole different way than we do. In the Christian community, we continually speak the words, unconditional love, saved by grace, but we seldom actually apply them. We're very quick to be angry, very quick to, I'm going to tell them a thing or two, to our culture at large and, unfortunately, inside of our own homes or neighborhoods. We have a tendency to be hard on people. Is that what God asks us to do, be hard on people? I'm not convinced it is. And when we do that, it does nothing but mess up our relationships. So if we've gotten this far, and I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about where we're going, um, that, uh, none, of that we, none of this applies to us, then I think we've really missed the mark. That somehow we're above, you know, not being unconditionally loving and that we have no sin in our lives. Boy, that's got to be the biggest deception on the planet. News flash, we're all broken. None of us have arrived. None of us have this figured out. But that's the beauty. We can just, every day, we can try. If we have that kind of vanity and self-pride, we need to form a prayer line. Because if we could live without sin, what would be the need for Jesus, right? So, even if we were in this incredibly deceived state of, I'm sinless, you know, God would still be there. He'd still love us. And when we actually came to our senses, he'd still stay close because he loves us. And the great news is we can live this out. We can make changes. We can take time in the word. We can stay in this book that keeps us hopefully grounded. We can stay in prayer. There's incredible power in prayer. We can stay full of the Holy Spirit. Because that's where those guiding moments come and it will help us make the better choices. We can truly choose to live more loving lives and it can start right now. It can start today. It can start with the next interaction you have with people. If I haven't done the work to create a loving, caring home, maybe even one that's lighthearted and joyful, maybe even some humor here or there where our kids want to be, then we can start by doing better in those arenas because we have to do better. If we don't, then who would want to be there? You know, adults, whether they're children, neighbors, friends, they don't have to stay. They can go away and not come back. So I want us all to have people in our lives that choose to stay. And that brings me to another song. I can never get far away from music. About a song by Matthew West called, "No, You Are the God Who Stays, it's kind of, can play played a lot these days, and I'm sure you've, most of you have heard that song, and I'm definitely not going to sing it. That'd be terrible, but <laughs> that's unconditional love right there. I'm not making you listen to me sing it, but it sums up so many of the aspects of unconditional love. The chorus goes like this. We'll see if I can get through this. <clears throat> You're the God who stays. You're the one who runs in my direction. It's already started. When the whole world walks away. You're the God who stands with wide open arms and you tell me that nothing I have ever done can separate my heart from the God who stays. The second verse starts out talking about I used to hide every time I thought I let you down. I always thought I had to earn my way but I'm learning that you don't work that way. Isn't that wonderful that he doesn't work that way? And then the song ends by going through these things that we don't have to do, that we can't, that won't separate us from His love. Like, my shame won't separate. My guilt won't separate. My past won't separate me from God's love. My sin, my scars, and my failures won't separate me from God's love. Neither can an enemy or the power of hell take me away, because your love for me will never change. The last few words are I'm yours forever. Isn't that awesome? Quite a song. So, sorry. But it just describes such a big part of God's nature. He will stay even when we don't. But God does want us to stay. He wants us to love others the same way he does. Father God wants us to love others unconditionally. God wants us to be a walking illustration of his unconditional love. It's recorded in John 13 verse 35 that Jesus himself said, very familiar, by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus wants others to know us by our love, not our anger, not our hatred, not our harshness, not our meanness. When people see this kind of love demonstrated, there may even be an opportunity that we have for a heart to be changed toward God. It is not what we're all trying to do, show God, show people God's love. The keys to this process is loving them regardless of how they respond to that love. And it can be difficult. We should never keep score, though, because love doesn't do that. It never behaves that way. Since we like to be forgiven and accept grace, we just got to want to do that, live it out by being forgiving, offering grace, being kind, I think this will all help us be better people because when we are full of love and grace and forgiveness, we get to get rid of all that baggage, all that stuff we carry around and want to carry from relationship to relationship, all that hurt, it just falls off. It just stays away. And remember that God sees us every day at our best and at our worst, the real us, the sinful us, and he still loves us. So as I start to finish up, I believe that healthy families and healthy relationships are not just about following some set of rules that I make, that you make, that we make, or coming up with some perfect punishment that we are really going to fix our kids this time, or raising these straight-A students to be doctors, lawyers, or even ministry leaders, to have the perfect athlete, and none of those things are bad, That's, but that shouldn't be the ultimate goal. As families, we should be about raising up our kids, whether our kids, the neighbor's kids, people we come in contact with, by giving them the tools to deal with life and the adversity that will inevitably come. Life is tough. And the sooner we think of of it that way, that we can live out unconditional love and change our attitude, the better off we're going to be. We need to help our people we run into, our kids, our friends, help them feel safe and able to roll with the punches because life has a tendency to kick. And the key is to keep going, to keep trusting in God. We need to be able to laugh with them. We need to be able to cry with them. And even if we're crying, to not make anybody feel ashamed or unworthy or unloved for doing so because that is about staying not abandoning, but abandoning, and that's what love does. So one last thing, when we're truly unconditional, we're trying to keep the focus on God. It's his image. It's not ours. So we can let down our guard. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be showing him us. We're trying to show him him. He's the awesome one. But we're often very good at conforming others to our expectations of them. We draw the box. Again, God's already loved him regardless of our box and that's the box that matters. Because when we draw the box, it sounds pretty conditional, doesn't it? We don't want to be conditional. it's not our conditions. We just have to maintain our focus on God, His love, and not on ourselves and our ways. And if we do this and try every day with God's help, we will learn to walk out unconditional love. Thank you for listening to today's message.